Welcome to the VIP Jazzwell Report, where we ask insightful questions and get revealing answers. I'm VIP Jazzwell. Before I introduce my guest, let me ask you this. In today's world of media, there's a fine line between being a star and a celebrity. And as a society the world over, we've always been fascinated by stardom and glamour. In fact, this hunger of ours is constantly being fed by celebrity gossip and reality television through the media. So when we think of a star or celebrity, we already have a perception of who they are, even if we don't really know them as individuals. So who are these puppet masters that help form an image in our mind? I think it's the publicist the secret agent of the stars who orchestrate and sometimes even manipulate the image of everything and everyone around us. Our guest today is Howard Bragman, who is the founder of the strategic media and public relations agency called 15 Minutes. He's media-trained actors, CEOs, elected officials, and others in high office. Welcome to the show, Howard. Thanks, Vip. I have to give secrets away. You didn't tell me that part. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> so what does a publicist do? Tell me. Well, uh, you know, in most basic terms, we help people manage their public images. Um, I always say that PR, though the initials PR, used to stand for public relations, and now they stand for perception and reality. And we invest a lot of time in analyzing what people's perceptions are, mm-hmm. determining what their reality is, how do they want to define themselves, and helping get to that place where where they're more comfortable with being defined. Well, you know, it it, it sounds pretty nice, and and it's a great definition, actually. Um, But for me, I mean, is it a case of where you hide the truth and reveal the lie? You know... Have you gone to breakfast with your grandmother? Do you tell her everything? No, definitely when you go not. To a job interview, when you go to a job interview, you know, we all want to put our best foot forward. Yes. And honestly, in this world we live in, it's almost impossible to, quote-unquote, hide bad stuff anymore. Right. We live in a shockingly transparent world. But what I try and teach and empower people to do is really define their most positive aspects. And, you know, we live in a world that used to be just celebrities had a public profile. Well, now all sorts of people have public profiles. That's just uh, almost all of us do. Uh, Something like 90% of children at two years of age have a footprint online. Um, And when you're talking about something that's that pervasive, it's really important because if you don't define yourself, it doesn't mean you're invisible. It means you're not defined as well as you can be, and it's going to affect your money-making ability, perhaps your dating ability, Mm -hmm. etc. Well, you've been in the business for a long time. What do you think are the three most important skills it takes to make a good publicist? Well, I do a lot of crisis, so I'd say number one mm-hmm. is is empathy. Uh, you have to listen. Um, number two is is strategy. You have to have a point of view. You when when the whole world's falling apart, you have to be the clear headed one and see the path out of the jungle, if you will. Um, and um, Number three 
is you got to be a, th- a bit of a therapist. You got to listen. You have to understand what your client's specific needs are, what their specific challenges are, what they're fighting with themselves internally. We see a lot of things that happen bad to celebrities, and people go, "Oh my God." They must have a horrible publicist. I don't immediately assume that. I think there's a lot of great people in my profession. My first assumption is maybe the client isn't listening. Maybe the client or their team, somebody has a reason not to listen and is choosing to go a different direction. Um, so I, I often call myself publicist rabbi shrink. I think those are three very requisite skills in my business. Well, we live in a world where we're surrounded by media more so than ever now. Um, do you think the real power rests with the publicist? No, I think the real power rests with the person. I think I think a publicist is merely the vehicle for helping a person get their message out. We live in a world where an individual can define themselves very strongly if they want to take the time to learn and take the time to invest in defining themselves. Um, if they don't, if they're a bigger business, a more public figure, have particular issues, then a publicist is really big. But, you know, a lot of people will come to me and go, well, what would you do? You know, a good PR person can fix that. You know, we look at, I remember when Britney Spears was falling apart, right? Right. A few years ago, and people said, oh, all it takes is a good publicist. No, it doesn't. <laughs> you know, in that case, she had what I would call life problems, not publicity problems. And, it, it, you know, she had to get the professional psychological help she needed, recognize that she had issues, and then be willing to move on from there uh, before she could ever attack her PR problem because ironically what helped fix her PR problem was being low-key about it was virtually disappearing from the scene well then wouldn't shouldn't which is have kind of the opposite of what you think well shouldn't her PR person have advised her look at this moment in time hide the truth so stay indoors rather than yeah. go out and about. oh uh, yes a good PR person because like you said, you know, it's crisis management. That's what you do. The PR person so often has to tell their client to be quiet, stay low-key. And it's hard because, you know, particularly a lot of public figures think, well, the public loves me and they're charming and they can do these things. Well, you know, you said something that the publicist is not totally responsible for their client's success or failures. But let's talk about the Kardashians. How do you turn okay. a sex tape into a multi-million dollar industry? Because that's what she was famous for in the beginning, but now she's just becoming famous for being famous. Um, is there, a, is there you, a secret publicist within? No, because a, a lot of people have done sex tapes and gone nowhere. But the reality is, once you get fame, whether you have a sex tape, whether you become a YouTube star, right. whether you win a reality show, 
The question is, what do you do with that? How do you define yourself and how do you move forward? Mm-hmm. And if we look at Kim Kardashian, her sex tape would have, you know, been banned in Boston 30 years ago and we would never would have seen her again. And yet now she's one of the hottest stars on television. And yeah, understand we live in a different world. Look at Elizabeth Hasselbach um, from The View. This is a young lady who started out on Survivor. You know, it doesn't matter where you start. It matters what you do along the way, that you have a strategic goal, and it matters where you end up. And and you can do it by being smart and defining yourself, because whether it's on a sex tape, whether it's on a reality show, whether it's winning a competition, whether it's on YouTube, the people who pop out are the people who have an appeal, the people that the public responds to in some way. But isn't that appeal appeal created by the publicist? Not really. Some people have it and some can't, don't. And yeah, I can't define it. I know it when I see it. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of called magic or star power or stardust. And some people have it and some don't. It's why some great actors never become movie stars. It's why some movie stars are not really great actors, but, uh, you know, they can appeal. I'm looking, you know, I, I look at... What's happening this weekend? Channing Tatum. There's a guy who's undeniable. Even in small roles, this is a guy with an undeniability of star power. He's just got it. Uh, Of course he's handsome. Of course he's articulate. But it goes beyond that because there's no shortage of good-looking, articulate people in Hollywood, right? That's right. You you can't swing a dead cat without having somebody good-looking in this town. But there's just a certain magic that's either captured by the screen or transferred to the public, and it's my job to harness that, recognize it, and make sure that that's presented to the public. And I want to address one of the biggest myths. A lot of young people have this dream and belief that they will be famous, okay? They live in a world where it's easier to be famous than it was before. But the message I always give is fame is not an end point. Fame is the price you pay for doing good work, making money, being respected. You know, somebody cuts you off in the car and you want to give them the finger and they go, oh, so-and-so gave me the finger and all of a sudden it's on TMZ the next day. Um, That's not really the fun part of being famous. Or you want to go to a restaurant or a ball game with a friend or a family and everybody's bugging you for autographs. That's not the best part of being famous. Right. That's kind of the price you pay for the the success and, and the ability to do something creative, whether it's acting or music or whatever you do that made you famous. Right. But being a publicist, it's all about creating, I suppose, relationships from every angle that can help. It starts with this vision. It starts with this vision. Hmm. What do, you know, you sit with your client, you, 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 you know, they call us spin doctors, and I think it's a great analogy because like any doctor, you take the pulse, you say, where are we, where do we want to be, and what's the best road to get there? And you you decide on a, a you know you decide on a a goal you decide on messages and strategies that will get you to your goal and then you do it across every media platform you can social media traditional media 
print, broadcast, radio. You do it every way you can. And I always like to say, people go, should I be on social media or should I use traditional media? I always say it's like a balanced diet. You should eat your protein, your vegetables, and your carbs. But, you know, let's and, go back to, I just want to go back to the Kim Kardashian story. You said about having a strategy about where you yeah. are and where you want to be. Um, she's just being herself. Well, is that the I don't plan? Know I don't know if we know what herself is. She's certainly the best image of herself. She's certainly the most glamorous image of herself. She's certainly the aspirational image of herself. Um, you know, I've been in her house when she was getting ready for a photo shoot, you know, in a bathrobe with no makeup on and her hair not done. She, you know, she's a beautiful young lady, but, uh, you know, can look like the rest of us, too. But that's not the images that are released out there. Right. So uh, it, it's it's about being yourself, but it's about being the best version of yourself and the version of yourself that's going to get you to your goal. You know, I look at the uh, website, the Daily Mail. And on the right column, uh -huh. they always have the U.S. showbiz. And, you know, you can, you can pretty much see your favorite star once in a while pop up. Uh, and if you look closely, it makes you wonder because someone seems to be working with some of the fashion houses to create an, a level of indirect marketing. A lot of stars, you know, mm -hmm. you see carry around the famous Birkin bag. Um, you think, are these sort of paid for moments to publicists sort of orchestrate the setup? No. In the case of a Birkin bag, they don't like to give them away. They're too expensive. They're very big on um, they're very big on selling them and they have a chicness because of their price, because, mm -hmm. because of their relative lack of availability. You know, it's like I'm, I'm old enough that I remember Cabbage Patch Dolls, when they became, you know, chic. That's right. And there's certain things, you know, Pet Rocks. Um, there's certain things um, that just catch on and some things that don't. And it's kind of magic when you do what they do. And you can certainly goose it along, but you can't guarantee it. You can't catch the public's imagination unless they're ready. Well, you know, um, let me take it one step further. I, I, I look at Daily Mail almost every day, and they're always at the beach. They're always being caught on their most glamorous side, um, walking into the beach or getting a coffee or whatever. Do publicists work with the paparazzi? Yeah. Uh, publicists don't often, some stars do. Some publicists do, too. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't seem to be a profession where there are any ground rules. It's almost like the wild, wild west. Do what it takes to get the image. Right. So work with the paparazzi. Okay, you guys make sure you get this good shot. And then even you look at the description. I mean, they're very descriptive of what they're wearing, where they're drinking coffee from. Um... It's highly descriptive and, and always a beautiful shot. So it just makes you wonder that, you know, has this particular scenario been orchestrated with everyone's consent? Yeah, sometimes it is. Sometimes celebrities do it to make money. Sometimes they do it because they feel like they look really good then and they want to show it off. Um, they all have different reasons. Yeah, I mean, I'm not complaining because they're always on the beach in a bikini, so I'm I'm good with that.
I want to talk about Paula Dean. Do okay. you think her publicist is handling this well? Um, well, she just hired a new one. I think up until now, I don't know if it's her publicist or attorney or her, mm-hmm. but it hasn't been handled well. No, it's been very messy. It's been handled about as badly as it can be handled, frankly. So, if you were her publicist, um, how would what well, would you there do? Was, there were a multitude of mistakes made. Mm-hmm. Number one was you got a fifteen to twenty million dollar a year business. You settle a million dollar lawsuit. You don't let it take down your whole business. Right. That was number one. Number two, you do not, you do not give a deposition that you're not re- prepared for. And I felt like her deposition was horrible. Horrible. What would you have said or asked her to say, rather? You know, it's one thing to acknowledge you the N-word, but she said, of course. (laughs) You know, almost with some sort of glee. And that was, you know, that was disconcerting. It was disconcerting. I wouldn't have liked to go through that deposition mm-hmm. uh, because, you, you know, you tell the truth in the court of law. But that's why you try and settle these lawsuits. And I'm sure she said, oh, somebody's trying to hold me blackmail and forget them. And I'm not going to pay this money because I'm in the right. Well, sometimes it's a business decision. And you let them, you know, let them be right and save your business. Would you have um, allowed her to go on TV and cry? You know, going on TV and crying wasn't the problem. There were so many problems leading up to that. I mean, number one, her lawyer came out and said, we'll deal with this in court. Well, you know what? You don't have time to deal with it in court. You have to deal with it in the court of public opinion. Um, It's happening now. That's number one. Number two, um, she came and did three horrible apologies last Friday that really, really served to do nothing but make the whole decision the you know the whole situation worse just couldn't have been worse and that was uh, you know a huge problem for her and it made it a much bigger story um number three she um she canceled on matt lauer yeah um not a good move not a smart move um and when she did go you just got to fall on the sword. You got to take two thousand percent responsibility. You know, an, uh, I handle a lot of apologies for clients. I always say this about apologies: an apology does not mean you're a hundred percent wrong and they're a hundred percent right. It means that you're a hundred percent committed to moving on. Well, here's a case and, study for you, Howard. Here's a case study. If she wants to uh, get your services. What would you yeah. do to make her bounce back? Um, I would, number one, keep her out of the press. Um, number two, I would be meeting with her advisors um, to come up with a strategic plan to keep as many sponsorships as we can. Number three, I would be working to ensure that we had 
um, a new TV network, even if it wasn't a lot of money, because what you have to understand is the uh, the Food Network wasn't her biggest money maker in her arsenal. No, but, but it, was it was a great visible the, platform. It was the awareness engine, exactly, that drove the rest. Um, number four, I would think about broadening her empire. And so it wasn't just the Paula Dean empire, but the Dean family. And make it more about her sons, put them forward a little more. And when she is ready to talk, make sure she's ready. Make sure she's listened. Um you know, but it's really hard. You know, you can fall in a hole literally from the from the time of the deposition breaking till the Matt Lauer interview was one week. That's a breathtakingly quick fall. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, question is, how can you pull back, and how it might take you years to dig out of a hole? But do you think she can bounce back? Yes, but never the way she was. Never the way she was. Now, I, I was giving this some thought, and I thought, well, she needed to have given one very well thought out and well expressed apology. Uh, exactly. And also explain that... Hopefully of, to a media person. Uh, hopefully, yes. And also explain the fact that she was using these racial slurs in the same spirit that maybe the hip-hop industry does. Because they're famous for using the same words. And if she was a little, wanted to spin it a little, she should have also said that she should have realized that the racial slurs are only the privilege of the hip-hop industry. And the right. spin here no, is... No, she, she had to say that she learned that she made a mistake, okay? Yeah. Which she, you know, she wasn't quite contrite enough. And, you know, as I was going to say about apologies, you have to be 120%. You have to make own it 120 percent that doesn't mean you're 100 percent wrong no it doesn't um but it means you're 100 percent committed to moving on you see i think racial slurs on its own should just be banned everywhere it can't be just a privilege of one part of society and then a, a crime for everyone else i agree I agree, but it's very different when an African-American says that as opposed to when a 60-something-year-old Southern white woman says it. Yeah. There's no comparison. Does everyone need a publicist these days? No, they don't. But everyone needs to be aware of how things work. They need to be aware of their own public image. Um, They need to be aware of their reputation. I mean, the, you know, we protect our cars, we protect our houses, we work out, we eat healthy, we eat organic, and, you know, we kind of let our reputation be, and it's arguably one of the most valuable things we own. It's going to make you money. It's going to people, before they date you, are going to probably Google you. Um, in addition to traditional PR, I'm vice chairman of a company called Reputation.com. Tell us about that. And... Reputation.com, you know, helps people manage their online reputations. And it's hugely important that we do not take this for granted. Well, what are the, uh, what are the ways that you could manage it? Well, number one, we manage people's privacy. Number two, um, we manage what, what people find when they Google you. 
what are the most dangerous things um, you've seen? What are the most dangerous? Well, I, I think the Google algorithm is a dangerous thing. That's this math, mathematical formula that determines what people see and what they don't see online. And the truth is, it's not necessarily the truth. It's this algorithm's version of the truth. It may not be your version. It may not be how you perceive yourself or see yourself. It's it's this mathematical formula. And you have to be aware of what it is, how it works, the fact that it rewards levels of salaciousness. And you have to know how to counter that by getting more positive things out there, uh, by helping negate some of the negative things. Um, same thing as peer reviews. You know, before we do a dentist or go to a store or hire a caterer, you can bet that we look online and see how they rate on these peer review sites. And people just take it for granted, and you can't. You have to be proactive. And you can be proactive. And I'm not disparaging the work of publicists. The average person doesn't need it. Many people do need it. Many people do need it. It's a very different, challenging world out there. Now, in your experience, what's been the biggest success in terms of uh, PR and image management for your clients that you can share with us? Um. Because you've had some high-profile cases, right? Like jo- Joseph Stefan and know, the Lewinsky most family. Of the, most of the successes, I don't really like to talk about my own. Um, I really, you know, don't like to talk my own client mm-hmm. and their work. I really, you know, I, I'd rather talk what's out in the... Well, don't know, name them. Just give me of, a case. Give me, give me client X. Well, most of the, my successes are things you never saw about in the press, are things that went away quietly. Such as? You know, when there's a lawsuit, we don't let it get out there. When we resolve something quickly and make an apology, I had a client who was accused of saying something disparaging. We made an apology, and it disappeared within literally a couple hours, and it's never come up again. Those are the real successes when it doesn't become a problem. So hiding the truth, so to speak. I don't think it's hiding the truth. I don't think... um, I don't think it's hiding the truth. I don't think these are everybody's business, these things that happen. Yeah, you're right. But, you know, once you get to that level where it's fame and high office and things like that, people do regard or the public do regard your affairs as their affairs. Exactly. You know, so I think that's where your job comes in handy, right? Managing yep. what needs to be seen. Yeah, and just because you're a public figure doesn't mean everything you do is everyone's business. Yeah, I guess so. But I, 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 I suppose the public don't see it that way. But in your company, uh, 15 Minutes, what services do you provide? Yeah. We handle, we work with um, celebrities, we mm-hmm. work with corporations, we work with not-for-profits, we do some crisis counseling, a really eclectic list of clients. And in your, you've also been the author of the book, Where's My 15 Minutes? Yes, and that is kind of a guide for the average person to start to get a grasp of their own identity. 
And at what stage do you think, if you're running a company, do you actually need a publicist as opposed to someone saying... I think when the company gets to a certain point, when you realize that one of the things that's going to keep your company successful um, is is um, a public image, mm-hmm. you know, to get customers in there, or when there's a problem. Right. You know, then then you can do it. I mean, companies that get to be over a million dollars a year in sales should certainly consider whether they hire a publicist or they handle it internally. They should certainly consider it that um, they have, you know, they have a public image that they have to start to take responsibility for. How do you choose a good publicist apart from yourself? I am the only good one. Come on, you, you, you know, you you talk to friends in similar businesses. Mm-hmm. You talk to journalists, and in your industry, if you were in the fashion industry, you might talk to a fashion editor and say, "Who do you like working with? Um, who do you think's good?" Would you judge a publicist by their reach, in terms of how many media outlets they could get you across to? No, because I, I, trust, I judge a publicist by their intelligence right now. Um, because I remember when I started out, I didn't know anyone. But at the same time, I certainly was passionate. I certainly had good instincts for the business. Mm-hmm. And I did the right things. And I, there's a lot of things to judge it. You judge it by their passion, by their intelligence, their level of commitment, how much time they how much time they have for you. Um, it's a lot of things to judge a publicist on. And I think it's very important that you meet with them, see what the thing, what their proposal is, get proposals from different publicists, and see where they want to go and how, how you, if you think they get you. If you think they get you, you want them to do which, what you want them to do. At the same time, you want them to deliver more. So the chemistry has to be right. It's a gut instinct as well. Exactly. Well, sure. Howard, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing. Um, it's been great, Vip. I really appreciate the time, and thanks for all your help. Talk to you soon. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is it for today. Feel free to send in your comments to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the Vip Jaswell Report, or tweet me if you dare at Vip Jaswell on Twitter. Thank you for listening, and keep your ears open for the next airing of the Vip Jaswell Report, coming soon.